Ladies and gentlemen, if you've been listening to the Paul Rivera podcast, you've never heard that intro before, but I am that excited about this episode. We have none other than the entrepreneur, the visionary, the executive. None of that shit really matters. My best friend, Maverick Carter on this show. I'm so excited. We talk everything from his vision to building a company. We talk about him managing LeBron James. We talk about what advice he'd give to young people trying to start their own business. And we talk about um, basically how he thinks I'm the smartest thing ever he's ever met. And yeah, just enjoy the show. Peace. Maverick Carter. Thank you for having me on, sir. Long, a- long overdue. Long overdue. What's good, brother? How you feeling? Like all Mondays, I feel great. Weekend's over, back at work, uh, back in the saddle. You have um, the same sickness I have. Like if you have too much time off, you get antsy. Like you, I look forward to Mondays. Yeah, I like Monday. I'm not a, you know, people dread Mondays. I like Mondays. I mean, I guess... It's a big part of um, what you do. If you love what you do and um, love to do it, then you look forward to Mondays, even though it's hard, it's challenging, there's issues, people are pissed, you get pissed, all that comes with it. But, you know, if you're lucky enough to be doing the job you want to do, it's what you signed up for and what you dreamed about, like me, then I look forward to Mondays. It's funny, it's like, if there aren't enough problems, you're probably not dreaming big enough or have a big enough job, right? Like, fair to say? Um, like, if it's all easy and there's no challenges? Yeah, if there's no if there's no challenges, then you've probably been doing the same thing too long. Mm-hmm. It's probably time to change it up. But I would say also, that's actually my sickness, is, is the idea that I always talk about when you when you win, it just gives you an opportunity to win on a bigger level, a bigger stage. And I love that feeling, not of, I love the feeling of winning, of but course. I love the feeling of, okay, now I get a chance to play on a bigger stage, prove myself even more, one more time, even better. And you always are like, you know, as an entrepreneur, I'm always like, Okay, if I do this one, I'm gonna take a year off. I'm gonna take six months off. I'm gonna, this is the accomplishment I want because as an entrepreneur, you realize, yes, you want to build a great company. Yes, you want to make money, but that's not number one. The number one thing you want to do is you want to have an accomplishment of building something amazing and building something that people love to be a part of, building an amazing team that you're a part of and you're chasing those accomplishments of accomplishing those things. And not accomplishments in the sense of awards, but accomplishments of actually building things that matter. And when you're chasing those, once you do one, it just gives you an opportunity to do another one. And sometimes I do tell myself like, okay, this, I do this one, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm just gonna stick it out here. But you, I'm addicted to it, I can't help it. I don't know, before we really, really get into it, I don't know if you remember this, we were in China for the LeBron Nike tour, you weren't dirty yet. 
right? This was like, and it was me, you, Randy, and Lynn Merritt. We were like in the lobby of a hotel, and Brown was upstairs getting some rest. And we were having a glass of wine or whatever, and, and you made the comment to Lynn half jokingly. Shout out to Lynn Merritt, the general. You said, you know what, fellas? Braun's going to win his first championship soon. It's been a great run. I'm going to retire. I'm not doing this anymore. And I almost feel like you don't talk the retirement word anymore, but you keep talking to like, I'm going to take a year off. Like, as soon as I do this thing, I'm going to take the year off. I don't think you'll ever take the year off. I think, I don't think you'll ever retire. No, I don't think so either. I mean, it's hard for me to take a five days off. So I've been on vacation with you. Like, yeah. there's no such thing as. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever. Um, I'm definitely far, far, far away from it. I don't even talk about retirement. I do sometimes say, well, I'd like a vacation or a break. But, but know, even your really vacations. what I'm saying is I just want a, two, two consecutive nights of good sleep. <laughs> um, that's a vacation for me. Something most people or anyone who has had the pleasure of working with you uh, – Something they don't know is how many times have you ever had an out of office email on your on your email reply? You know, I'm talking about like when you go on vacation or you're out, you say, "Hey, I'm unavailable. Contact such and such until I'm back." How many times have you had that? Never. Never in your life. Never. You've taken vacations. You've traveled. You just why is that so important? You actually not only have you not had it, you don't like it. That's why I'm asking you for a specific reason. Yeah, I personally don't like it for myself. I understand why people do it because you do need a break. You do need to pull the unplug and disconnect. So that really sends the message to the people you work with, both internally and externally, that, hey, I'm, I've unplugged, I'm taking a little break. Do me a courtesy and give me a break. <laughs> yeah. So you're really sending that message. I just have always thought for me and my job, um, especially at the beginning, um, when I first left Nike, of managing talent you're never really off mm -hmm. you can't be i can't be off um if lebron calls me at some you know he, if he got an out of office reply from me I mean, <laughs> secondly i don't even know what my office i don't really have an office anymore so i'm never out of you the, are the office I, i'm perpetually out of the office mm -hmm. um you know you know we work together. You know, my office is, I don't have, it's a room, mm -hmm. but when I'm not there, it's a conference yep. room. If I'm there and people need it, they, I leave. Yep. I go sit in the lobby or something. So I'm kind of always out of the office now that we have, you know, and with the invention of portable email devices, you always are available. You know, I, not to say I don't get behind on emails, but that just means I'm behind. I'll get to them. Sometimes on if I'm away, I'll just take longer breaks in between doing emails. But I just don't understand the point of saying I'm out of the office when you're kind of never not these days. Mm -hmm. Or it just may take you a day or two longer. You know, some people write that now, which I like better. Right. I don't right. mind that. Like, right. please, I'm away. Please forgive it me for my delay. A, it and, may take yeah. me two or three days to yeah. get back to you yeah. because I'm away. Yeah. So you, you referenced the beginning. I want to go back to the beginning for a little bit. You were, and it's been well documented, but uh, there's a certain thing I want to ask you about. You were 23 years old when LeBron hands you the keys and says, I want you to manage me? Um, well, you're taking me back now. I was 23. 23 years old, right? 
people thought he was absolutely out of his fucking mind, right? What was the famous quote? Do you remember it? I know you had. Um, this is like LeBron needing knee surgery and hiring his plumber. <laughs> what did you think back then? Did it piss you off? Was it funny? Did you take it as a chip on your shoulder? Um, back then, I thought, I thought the comment was clever and funny. Mm -hmm. I, I can appreciate comedy even if it's about me, but it also was very motivating. It, it was a bit degrading, but of course, but not totally degrading, in the sense that the truth was I had no experience. I had no no degree. Of, of any sort, let alone business or anything sp uh, specific. And I had no, um, my resume didn't say that I should be the one um, doing that job. But but there's a way to say things in a way not. I think, you know, it was said by a radio announcer who's part of the radio announcer's job is to entertain. I thought it was a very entertaining quote. I thought it was um, a bit degrading because there was another way to just say, hey, this is LeBron hiring someone with no experience. That was the gist of it. But me personally, I took it as like, mo not even so motivation, more like this is another th another accomplishment that I need to have is to have people not feel that way about who I am. And that's gonna take work and put in the time and effort to, to change how people felt about that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember this. I think I asked you maybe like five years ago or something. I asked you about that exact time period in your career. And I said, looking back on it, were you ready for that? And you said, hell no. Right. But I think one of the things you were extremely smart about was most people run from that fear. Right. Like, I'm not ready. So I don't want to be exposed and I'm not ready. You leaned into it and were like, let me surround myself with people that can A, help me get ready, and B, even more importantly, support my guy. That's my job to do, to put the best people around him and not be um, secure in yourself and bringing talented people around LeBron. What was your thought process at 23 and surrounding yourself, and even more importantly, LeBron, with the best people possible? Yeah, well, I still do that. I mean, it's the reason you and I work together. It's the reason you know, all the people who work around us Honestly, it's because I'm very sure in what I know. Most importantly, I'm sure in what I don't know. And I know I need to bring in people to do the things I don't know. And selfishly, which as I always talk about, I think selfish gets a bad rap. Selfishly, the, th the, the fields or the expertise that I don't have or don't know, I want to bring in people who know those fields and expertise so I could just get the knowledge from them and learn. Mm -hmm. So there's no better way to learn from someone than if you're paying them and they work with you and they're your partners. So at that time, brought in great lawyers, great accountants and learn from them. I learned from them as much as they were helping me, helping LeBron, helping the company we were building. I was selfishly learning from them because I knew I had a long career ahead of me. So now things I learned that first year or two with partners that we brought in on the legal side and finance side, I use those skills mm. still to this day because I didn't learn at Harvard or Yale or Michigan or Princeton or Stanford or some fantastic school. So I, that's how I learned selfishly is just bringing in people who did go to those places mm -hmm. and got expertise in those fields and 
just ask them every question I could and watch them go through the meetings and help the company that I was building and help LeBron and myself. And I was able to learn from them. Where where's that come from? I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting both your parents. Um, shout out to them if they're listening to this episode. Um, spending time with them. Um, where and I'm assuming maybe it comes from them from your upbringing, but I'd love to hear from you. Where's that come from? I've been in meetings with you in very very big rooms, very successful, powerful people, and they'll be going through their spiel, and you have no problem stopping them and saying you don't understand something. Most people will fake it till they make it like that they understand or will try to figure it out later. Where's that confidence come from for you? Have, have you always been like that, where if you don't understand something, you have no problem being like, hey, I don't understand that. Can you teach me that or break it down for me? <laughs> um, I think at the beginning it came from just honestly being curious slash nosy, <laughs> which is um, probably an attribute that comes from my grandmother and my dad, as I've talked about several times, just the most curious, nosy people you know, meet you today and never met you from Adam and those, who's your mom? Where are you from? How'd you meet Maverick? Just start asking you every question that you deem, well, this is a lot for a person I just mm -hmm. met 10 minutes ago or not. And then on the second level is I had to, again, because I, I, I had no um, overly formal education past my freshman year in college when I stopped going. So I had to learn somehow. I knew that, um, you know, there's two ways to do it. I could either read, read a bunch of books, or when I'm with people who've actually lived it and experienced the things that I want to do, ask them questions about words they're saying, how they're thinking about things, things they've done. Um, and then three, so my confidence comes from that. I'm naturally curious and I have to learn this shit. I have two options, either learn it or fail. Mm -hmm. So why not ask the question and learn it? The other option, the other alternative is fail. Well, there's an alternative of reading a book, and I've read a lot of books, but you need both, and there's not, there was not enough books in the world and not enough time in a day for me to get up to speed to where the job I had I take, I taken and been placed into to be ready for that, and B, um, I mean, and see, the last thing is, the truth is, what you've learned very quickly is, nobody knows the shit up. Like <laughs> somebody will say something, a word or something specific, and I'm not want to ask the question. But everybody in the room's like, "Gosh, thanks, thank God he thank asked." God he asked that. <laughs> Otherwise, I was gonna walk out of this room and not know anything that they were talking about. So you quickly realize that I'm not the only idiot in the room. There's right. other people who don't know this shit either or who, and sometimes there are people who've studied it, they just haven't had the experience or been exposed to it. So you quickly realize everybody was thinking the same thing you are and, and you have that confidence. And then, truthfully, comp, uh, confidence comes with accomplishments. I've been able to do some things in my career um, that have allowed me to be very confident that, hey, I may not know this, but you know I've done these other things. Mm -hmm. So. It's a combination of all those things, just the innate the in, the innate ability and, and instinct to be curious, the kind of sink or swim. I have to of course. get a sink or swim, so you better learn it somehow. And then the confidence of knowing I'm not, is the, there's a great chance I'm not the only person in this room <laughs> who doesn't understand what this person is, is explaining, so I'm just going to be the one that asks. Right. 
you've you've mentioned the word um, a couple times now. It's a great transition to the next question I had for you. Uh, being curious, I've heard you say numerous times that that's your greatest skill. Right? Talk about that a little bit. Um, I would say when you're curious, when you're really truly curious, that's what learning is, right? What learning and getting an understanding is is rooted in curiosity of wanting to understand how something was actually put together and thought about and how things come together. And if you really truly want to understand that, then you start to gain a knowledge base of how almost all things work because all things have a thread of how they're put together and why they're tied together and why things work and don't work. And that curiosity is very important for anyone who wants to advance their knowledge base and wants to advance the what they're doing at work or otherwise, you have to want to understand it. You, I mean, a lot of people say, hey, I want to do this, I want to do that. A lot of people tell you they want to be a director but can't tell you the difference in all the jobs on the set. Like, you have to really be curious to not only want to know the jobs but why all those jobs exist and who are those jobs and what type of people take those jobs and why do those people get those jobs and you know you can go really deep on a lot of subjects that'll take you back to like the beginning of time and i think that skill set of just naturally being curious or forcing yourself to be curious is extremely important because that is the root of all understanding and knowledge is to want to understand how it works or how it's put together when whenever anyone asks me like <clears throat> you know what makes Mav special? Uh, you know, what's his secret sauce? What's he do? That's you know, and it's not. It, it the questions always come from a like, they're really interested in like, what makes you who you are. I always give the same answer. I say, go back to twenty three year old Maverick Carter, <clears throat> and I want to paint a little bit of a picture. I don't know the numbers, but I don't need to. When LeBron hired you. To manage him, it's safe to say at that point in your time you're making more money than you ever made in your life, right? It's all relative, whether it was a ton, a little, but more than you'd made at that moment. Not even close. More than I ever dreamed of making it, and I could tell you it was like it was sixty thousand dollars a year. So it was more than I ever thought I'd ever make in my whole life. More than anyone in my family mm. had ever made. Let me just think about this. Maybe my uncle gets close to that, but. More than I ever made, more than I ever thought I would make. So that's that's perfect. So you're 23 years old. You're making more money than you thought you'd ever make. You're managing your best friend, your childhood best friend. Um, you're kind of living the dream where, you know, you're doing something you love to do. Most 23-year-olds in that situation, they put their feet up and they say, I made it. And they ride that wave, right? You, and this is what I think makes you a unicorn and unique from almost everyone else in the field is at 23, your wheels start turning thinking, okay, cool. I'm in the door now. What more can we do? Right. How's a 23 year old Maverick Carter even start thinking that it's like, it's not that I made it. It's like, Oh, I'm just getting started. And now I have a real opportunity because you and I have had these conversations to this date last week, probably that each win just allows us the opportunity to perform on a bigger stage. How the fuck are you thinking that at 23 years old? I think it was driven by um it was driven by the need the literal need like a drug addict for accomplishment and at that point 
um, I had parallel things I wanted to accomplish. Um, most importantly, wanted to set LeBron up to do things different than anyone had ever seen done by a person in his situation, an athlete in his situation. I really wanted that really bad, and I really wanted to. It wasn't about, like, changing, you know, there's a lot of conversation now, changing basketball or challenging the status quo. It wasn't really about that. It was really more so how can we think about the platform that LeBron had built for himself to leverage that for himself because that's what business is about, right? Mm -hmm. When you're in business and life, but, but most, mostly business, you need a platform. Everybody needs a platform to leverage. That platform could be a league, a team, a business, a company, whatever it is, he had built the platform and was playing NBA basketball. So how can we leverage that in a different way than anyone ever seen an athlete or a person in his position do. I was driven by that, I wanted to accomplish that. And selfishly, I wanted to be seen as more than just LeBron's friend. I mean, every time I read an article and it say LeBron's friend, LeBron's friend, LeBron's friends, he's managed by his friends. Like, I was, I was scared to death that I would die and that's who I would be. Like, I was just driven to not, I couldn't be that my whole life as just LeBron's friend. I wanted to be LeBron's business partner, LeBron's, the guy who helped LeBron um, do some amazing things. It literally scared me to death to think, like, is that what my obituary is going to say? Mm. Like, will my obituary just say, here, here lies LeBron's friend? <laughs> so I was selfishly driven by that accomplishment to just, just, Simply in articles, I'd be explained as a different person than just that. And that's hard to do because LeBron is one of the most amazing and most famous people the world's ever seen. So that I was driven to change that. To, that was one of the accomplishments I wanted selfishly. So fast forwarding, um, <clears throat> uninterrupted, right? Um, I think it's well documented how uninterrupted came about. I'd love your thoughts on why you wanted to create uninterrupted. And, and what your goals were for it then at the moment in which you started it? I thought it needed to exist. That's a great question because, you know, when you start shit, it's like you do have to take that moment and go, why the hell does the world need this? Mm -hmm. Another thing, another, right? Another company, another a zillion blah. of everything. Yeah. Why, do we really need another this, whatever this is? So... I really thought it needed to exist because I definitely thought there needed to be a company, a platform that stood for the athletes telling stories that really mattered to them in a way that they wanted to and it needed to have some curation and some professionalism put around it, meaning they could do it on their own Twitter or their own mm -hmm. social feeds with their iPhone, and that's cool too, that's great, but how do we up it a bit and really build a place, a studio, a company that stood for this? And start off just getting iPhone videos from athletes and distributing them on Bleacher Report and quickly really found our footing when we landed on you know our version of Just Do It, which is I'm more than an athlete or more than an athlete. 
And at that moment, we realize that what we were building was even more important than what we imagined. And it stood for something that we didn't even, we didn't know how big of a void was there against what we were creating. And, and we really mm -hmm. found our footing. And But at the moment, it was just like, how do we build a place that where athletes can share their voice the way they want to and get it distributed to the world? That, that's all it was really about. It was really about, you know, having conversations with LeBron and other athletes about their voice getting chopped up and what they said being taken this way or that way and how do we really build um, a place or a company where they can, it, w it won't happen that way. So I remember being there, <clears throat> shit, when you, when you first walked me through your vision for Uninterrupted, it was on a napkin, right? You're like, hey, I want it to be this and whatnot. And what I can say now confidently is you didn't have it all figured out, right? You That's had a seed of an idea, right? You were passionate and had a vision. Um, you figured out, as you just said, why this was necessary, right? Or what good it could add. You know, we have a lot of young listeners, young entrepreneurs, viewers. Talk a little bit about that. I think we live in a generation where everyone figures, like, I have to have this all figured out. I have to have a business plan. I have to know what the end goal is. I need to know all of this thing. Talk about that. You've never been afraid to fail. It's like, hey, I'm going to start this thing, and we'll figure some of it out as we go along. Like, talk about your, your point of view on that. Yeah, I think... You have to have more, most importantly, the reason why. If you have the reason, why should we exist as a company? Why? why? If it's just, oh, I just need to make some money, you might be able to build something. You might even be able to build something great, but it won't really ever connect in a meaningful way. Where you'll, you may make money, but it won't really connect how you want it to connect or how it could. But if you start with why, why are we doing this? What is the reason this needs to exist? And you keep that as your North Star that keeps shooting for why we need to exist. The rest you have to figure out as you go because of the world dictates a lot of things. You know, the world dictates technologies that come about, the world dictates changes in the market, changes in your situation, changes in people that work with you. But if you can keep why you need to exist, why are we existing or whatever, you're gonna start a restaurant, but why? Does this city you're in really need another restaurant, another pizza place, another right. barbecue place? Does it By the way, really there's need? never enough pizza places, but yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, in New York City, of course not. Um, but if you can really keep why front and center and never let it and never let the business start leading it, meaning never never go, okay, this is why we need to exist, this is why we exist, but we need to make numbers. Right. We need to get to a million sales. We need to get, we need to hit our numbers this quarter, so we gotta go this way. No, no, why do you exist? That has to lead. And the minute that doesn't lead, then you're fucked. But if that always leads, everything else you're, you're gonna have to figure out. As you go, you know, when Steve Jobs started Apple, he didn't think he'd be selling phones, right? He started as a computer company, then he became an MP3 company, then he became a phone, then he became a music company, then a phone company. So the why 
why do we exist? But at the end, they still exist for the same reason. He thought and believed and really believed they needed to exist to create a better computer and a better operating system. And then he just carried that through to the MP3. They made a better MP3 player with a better operating system. They made a better phone with a better operating system, always pushing the boundaries of design and making it simpler and better for humans. Yeah, he didn't spend two years on a on a business plan figuring the no, end game out, and right? The, and the <laughs> idea he had, I mean, he got fired at the beginning. Mm. But he always kept, when he got back there, he still had the same why. This is why this company needs to exist. They tried to chase the business and the numbers, and they lost track of why it needs to exist. You you know, you look at Nike, they always, always existed to create better products for athletes and create now that extends to better experiences for athletes through Nike Run Club and this and that and, and sneakers and but all of the products are rooted in still. Even if they're like now nostalgic and retro products and a lot of us wear Nikes and aren't going anywhere near a football field or a ba basketball court or track or anything like that, we're just rocking the shit because it's fresh. That product was it was built to actually build a better product for athletes. Now it might be re-engineered with different materials and things like that. So you have to keep that why at the center and know and it is literally impossible to know exactly what's going to happen today and the next day and a month from now. But why you need to exist should always be there. So <clears throat> I, I like to give, you know, again, our listeners like tidbits that could go and run with as they're trying to build their thing and their figure out their why. One thing you've taught me. Um, I don't know if I've ever said this, but one thing you've taught me is... No, according to you, I didn't know I ever taught you anything. It's the first time you're sharing I was something. saving it for my show. Thank actually. you. Oh, that's, <laughs> what, that's what this has been about. Okay. No. So you got a, you, do you have a list? <laughs> Just one thing. <laughs> um, no, like, you taught me the importance of partnerships, right? Partnerships in the sense of the right brands, right people. But even, look, I think as a people, especially black and brown people we've been brought up thinking we need to own everything right like that's the like i can't i can't put mav on because if i put mav on that dims my light right i need i need to do my own thing and you've taught me the if someone can add to what we're trying to build the greater cause of it you need to bring people on right even if that means you own a little less right and i gotta give props out to a, a friend of both of us rob stone he once told me a long time ago you know it's better to own 10% of something potentially really big than 100% of something really small. Like, where'd that come from for you, like your philosophy on just partnerships um, as you're building something? Yeah. I think um, a, little bit of, a little bit of it is innate and always being able to see things from 50 or 100,000 feet and really focusing really focusing on what's the majors and not, as they say, majoring in the minors. Some people get stuck in mm, the small shit, the minors. And when I was a senior in high school, a little story, um, I had a coach, Coach Keith Dambrot, who's still coaching now at Duquesne University in college. Uh, fantastic basketball coach. Um, the truth is, too, he was too good of a coach to be coaching high school. Mm. We just got lucky. Even back then? 100%. only reason why he was coaching high school is because he had been out of coaching for five years because he had got thrown out of the NCAA. Um, 
he got thrown out of the NCAA and wasn't allowed to coach there and, and then got blackballed a little bit and couldn't get back in, but always loved the game and always wanted to get back in coaching hoops. And um, But at the time, he was trading. He was a stock trader, and then he, he got this job at our school. I always tell people it's funny. Our team was made up of mostly African-American kids at an Irish Catholic school, and our coach was Jewish. So it was the perfect... <laughs> It was the perfect uh, mix. It worked beautifully. <laughs> of course it had to work. Our, te- yeah. our, our school is literally called, our mascot is the Fighting Irish, just like Notre Dame. Mm. And um, most of the players on our basketball team were African-American kids like me who had never been to a Catholic church. And our coach came in, and he was a Jewish guy, but he was awesome. And he was really, he's an awesome college coach. He's turned around programs again in college since he got back in. But my senior year, um, I had been at the school uh, played all four years there. As a freshman, I was a six-man. Um, and then I started sophomore year, junior year, senior year. And when I went as a, in as a freshman, there were three guys older than me who were sophomores, but they were really good, um, two of which you know are Derek and Darren and twins. Um, a lot of buckets between those twins. A lot of arguments, a lot of buckets, <laughs> a lot of... Agony, a lot of good times. Shout out to the twins, man. A lot of bullshit. Um, but they were a year older than me. So I was kind of always waiting my turn. Mm. As a freshman, again, I was six man. Really good. Recognized as one of the better freshmen in the city and the state. But I was a six man. Sophomore started, but it wasn't my team. They were, they were juniors at that time. So it was kind of their team, and they had waited their turn. They, those three, two of them had started as freshmen, and one was like the seventh man as freshman. By the time they were juniors, it was their team. And then when I was a junior, um, the twins actually transferred out, but one of them stayed. And then my senior year was really my time. Like, you know what I mean? I've been waiting for this. Yeah, and preseason, I was the guy on the front page of the, the paper in Akron, um, there was an article about me and blah, 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 blah. I've been waiting for that type of everybody. Of course, it's, yeah. Everybody's selfish. I've been waiting for that type of shine. Like, fuck, this is it for me. And my coach, early in the year, and I think he realized I got the message really quick, he explained to me the whole idea of a high tide raising all ships. Mm-hmm. And um, what he stressed is, is, is if we do good and we win – you're obviously going to be a part of it. We can't we can't do good and win if you if you're not a part of it. We need you, but it may not be your. You may not score all the all the points every night. You may do not do this, but you need to be a key figure in us in us winning. I think we can win, and if we win, there will be a high tide, and you'll get everything that you deserve. He stressed this to me early in the year. I think just he wanted to make sure two things that my head was in the right place because he thought we had a chance to be good and also because we have four freshmen come on the team who were all capable and did play varsity basketball one happened to be Mr. LeBron James and so your senior year LeBron's a freshman right yeah so um I really grasped that and I really coach made me believe that he instilled that in me at a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old senior in high school. And it doesn't always work out, but that one worked out for me. And he was right. I I did not lead the team in scoring. 
LeBron led the team in scoring. And we had another kid who transferred in, Ali Samabali, who was second in the team in scoring. We were all very close. It was like LeBron was like 19. Ali was like 17. I was like 16. I was third on the team in scoring. Your senior year. My senior year. I was the only senior on the team. Wow. I was the only senior on the – I'm sorry. There was one other senior, but he didn't play. I was the only senior who played. I started. I played the most minutes. I was the captain, but I was third in scoring, probably second in rebounds and probably second in assists. But we went 27-0, won the state championship, finished 19th ranked team in the country. I was player of the year in the state and got a Division One scholarship. So I tell that story to say that is the first time – I vividly remember someone explaining to me that a high tide raises all ships. If you win and you're a part of a winning thing, it will work out if you're good. And coach was telling me, I know you're good. You are good. So we can't be great without you. We need you. But it just might not be you every night. It might might not not be be your vision. You might not end up on the front of the paper every single, after every game. But we definitely need, without you, we can't be good. Mm-hmm. So if we're good, you're going to get your just due. You're going to get your due, yep. Whatever is due to you. And I think in life and in business, you start to quickly realize, okay, if, if I'm a part of something that I'm a key member of, and that thing wins, that business wins, that goes the distance, and I'm a part of it, A, I'm going to get my just due for being a part of it, <clears throat> you know, everybody always thinks they're due more. Of course. That's, that's just natural. And, that, and that's natural, and that's yep. fine. But you're going to get your just due. But more importantly, even if you don't get all the money you deserve because of that business or all the credit you deserve of that business, as I say, that sets you up for the next thing. Mm-hmm. Now you can leapfrog, oh, I was the CMO of this business that grew to a $5 billion business. CEO, the board, investors made more money than me, but now I can go take the next job because I was on that winning team. Right, I was on the winning team that won in a major way. So now it sets me up to go do the next thing. And if you're good and if you're great and you really know that, then you're okay with it. If you're not, if you have some insecurity about your skill set, your talent, it's going to be hard to grasp that concept of bringing people in and partnering with people and being a part of a great team. But if you're fine with who you are, I'll be the assistant at this company. Mm-hmm. But that's on my resume forever. That works. That I can now trade on that, especially if you're I mean, I don't you know, I doubt anyone would think that way at seventy, but you know, that's a different thing. If you're a young person, you want to be a part of a winner. A, because you learn a lot of course from being on that winner and B you get the credit. You know, I mean, we interview people all the time that are like, especially at the agency level, everybody worked on everything. That was great. I did that. Everything, everything, <laughs> anything that was great, everybody worked on yeah, it. So They did it. And there's nothing wrong with that. They should take credit for that. But when I was 18, my high school coach, he explained that concept of a high tide raising all ships. And, you know, I played basketball since I was very little. And I was a good player, played Division One basketball, but I was never, I'm trying to think, I'm actually thinking about this, maybe when I was little, but as like a high school player, maybe my junior year in high school, that one year and as a college player, I was never the best player on the team, but I, I knew how to win and wanted to win. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get mine too. I wanted of to course. score of and get buckets. 
and fucking celebrate after the game and talk to the pretty girls after the game <laughs> and do all that and be recognized and have articles and put together a scrapbook. But I also wanted to really win and be a part of a winner. And I really grasped that through playing basketball that, hey, it's not always going to be about me if you want to win. But if you're on a winner, it works. It, you really do get all the just do, the credit, the money, whatever is coming to you, being a part of that. But Coach Dan brought, really brought it home for me as a senior. So I didn't plan on asking you this question and as the wine now is flowing and you brought it up. Playing with LeBron your senior year, LeBron's a freshman. You got to give me a LeBron story, high school story. Whether it's high school, whether it's the season oh, you guys man. played together, you got to give me one. There's one story. a lot. There's a lot of tidbits like he started his freshman year. He was probably 5'11". LeBron was 5'11 his freshman year? Maybe six foot at the beginning. He could dunk, but not really. By the time we played the state championship in March, he was 6'3 and a half, 6'4", dunking wow. with two hands, doing any dunk you want to see. So he, he grew so fast that his mom didn't have enough money. We, we live in Ohio. It gets very, during basketball season, it's fucking freezing cold. The hawk. The hawk is out. <laughs> and he was growing so fast that his mom couldn't keep up with the length of his arms and winter coats. Mm. So for about three months, he came to school with a winter coat on that was about midway up his forearm. His, his wrist must have been freezing. <laughs> his wrist were to totally exposed to... To the old elements. Man, <laughs> old man went there for about three months, but he was growing so fast. His mom, you know, she'd buy a coat, and a month later, it was too. So she was like, You just got to rock that the coat money. You got to rock that shit out. <laughs> ride this you out. You got to ride this out, baby. <laughs> yeah. You got to get you some longer mittens or something. But no, so he grew fast. There's a lot. I mean, um, he was terrible on defense. I mean, horrible on defense. He used to guard. Anybody who knows basketball, when you deny, it's a very simple term called ball you, you man. man. Of course. I mean, you stand between you learned that in sixth grade. Yeah, he knew that, but he had an unorthodox style. He would stand on the other side <laughs> of, the, of the offensive player, like leaving him wide open to the to bucket. The back door. <laughs> but he believed he was so quick he could, like Deion Sanders, recover, recover yeah. and get the steal. But he was awesome on anticipation and passing lanes. He was awesome at it and we played we pressed basically the whole game I always tell people in high school if LeBron was here he, he verified this we had more defensive plays than offensive plays mm -hmm. we didn't really run any offense our coach relied on us just to be smart we ran this thing called spread which basically four out one in and whoever thought they had an advantage on the post could go in from the point guard to the any position and we just and then the inbounded, we just ran flat and got it in, and then we just played offense. But on fucking defense, you can forget about it. Coach Dan, bro, we had as a high school team thirty-five defensive sets. Oh wow! I mean, we run diamond press, diamond with no trap, diamond trap them out over half court. Then we run a two-two-one, two-two-one. The trap comes from the middle. Two-two-one blitz, twenty-one, twenty-one with a blitz, twenty-one with a soft blitz, twenty-one no blitz. That was all defensive plays. Wow. Diamond, no trap. Fist, which is man-to-man, half-court. 100 fist, full-court, man-to-man. 100 fist, two, which means... Me you still means, remember the plays, yeah, by the way. Of course. 100 fist, two means the guy guarding the ball 
on the second turn you trap, you trap him. Yep. So the ball goes up the left side, he turn turns him, him turns him, yep. go up the right, he turns him again, then the whoever's the man behind comes. Got comes yeah. Then we run uh, double fist, which is half court trap in the half court. So we had defensive play after defensive play after defensive play. And our defense relied on it's all it was a lot of formations and it changed just to give I mean, for a high school team, they never know what the hell was. I mean, we would press after misses sometimes. We could press after a miss free throw. But LeBron was amazing. Our defense always relied on two things. Coach always called it two on the ball, which means two guys trapping the ball, two interceptors. So the next two mm -hmm. are basically playing free safety and strong yep. safety and one protector. So two trappers, two interceptors. One protector. protector. Yep. No matter what we started, we're in it, it always ended that with two it. guys trapping, two interceptors, and one protector. And LeBron was the best interceptor the game of basketball has probably ever seen. Right up there with Allen Iverson, oh, wow. Michael Jordan. He, I mean, as a freshman, he could just anticipate. And he loved paying the passing lane because he got buckets that way too because he'd get to steal and go lay it up. But he was horrible on defense otherwise. When did you realize, and this can be a short answer, when did you realize, I don't use this word often, when did you realize he was special or had the chance to be special? It depends on how you define special, right? Because special for LeBron James means he's going on to be, you know, maybe the greatest player to ever play and mm -hmm. still playing. So when did I realize special as I would define as like, we're from Akron, so like special is like, Oh, he's going to be a high major basketball player, like play at Duke or Kentucky or Ohio State or wherever he chooses, or Cincinnati. Uh, probably midway through his, um, not even midway, a month or two into his freshman year, you were like, oh, he's he's definitely, you know, one of those guys, McDonald All-American type guys. He's going to develop in that. When he was a sophomore, you were like. Oh no, he's never playing college. <laughs> and then so sophomore year, you knew zero shot. He yeah. touches a college campus. No, no. And then as a junior, like, oh okay, he has a chance to be what he's become. And kind of so as I define special, there was a progression of special. But as a as a eighth grader and as a freshman, you just knew he played the game and could see the game in unorthodox fashion that was much different than not just people his age but everyone and frankly the thing that you would that would separate him right away was his ability to pass and really play make um the same thing he does now but he could do that at 14 years old really understand the game and play make in a way that was just different i always tell people they talk about you know, LeBron playmaking and making the right play and his, over his whole career he's always been talking. Sometimes he goes and gets the bucket a lot of times, more than anyone else we've seen. And sometimes he makes the right play if he's trapped. We were in the regional final my senior year. He was a freshman. And um, I was the only senior, the leader of the team. We're up against a very tough team called Villa Angeles St. Joe's out of Cleveland who's a well-known team. They're one of those Catholic schools. They've been good. You know, Clark Kellogg went there. Gotcha. Um, they've been good since the 70s, competing for state titles. So we're up against them, and they're a great team. And this, the winner of this goes downstate to play in the Final Four. And I fouled out of the game, and the game was back and forth. 
I mean, literally, they. I, I don't think there was a lead ever in the game bigger than four or five points throughout the whole game. It was sold out gym, five, 6,000 people there, 7,000 people in the oh, gym. Wow. Um, going back and forth, um, two plays that really saved the game for us. I foul out. We've been pressing the whole game. We pressed the whole game. But they had this point guard who was super speedy and good named Jason Hicks. His brother was actually a really good player, played at Marquette. And he went on to play college, and he was beating our press by himself. What he was doing, that if you do this, you can beat the press. A, he wasn't passing it to the corner or half court, so we couldn't get a Which trap. Which you want to trap in the corners, of yes. course. And he was so fast, we couldn't get a turn on him. Mm. He was catch it, one, two, and then hey, take God. a sideline, yeah. and you can't ever get to get in front of him to turn him. Because a trap, you want to turn, that's where you trap, turn of course. The only, way you get, okay. the only way to get a trap is A, a turn, or somebody throw it back. Right. Then you can trap. Yes. So, or somebody throw it to a corner where you can use a sideline. So he was, the whole game, but at the end of the game, two plays that saved us this game, we would have won it. He missed two free throws with about 12 seconds ago that would have put them up four. Game over. <clears throat> but I think to this day, never no way to confirm it. He missed. He's a good free throw shooter, but his legs were just gone because mm -hmm. we had been running him. Got you. We had been running his ass the whole game, and then we come back down. LeBron drives. Defense. He goes in. He's going in for a bucket. He's a freshman, 15, fourteen. Of, he's fifteen now. Wow. Defense collapses. He kicks it to a kid named Chad Mraz on our team. Chad nails a three. We win the game and go to the state tournament. LeBron made that play. Then you knew when he do he always would do the right thing like that, and in every situation, and he knew how to do it and was composed enough to do it at 14, 15. You knew oh, that he has something different. So he had this the physical ability, and then you have that. It's like oh, he makes the right play. Like he, he can has feel the potential. It. He can feel to it. Be special. Yes. So before I get you out of here, I want to bring up a couple of names and just get your initial take on it. Um, the first one is um, a little project called Space Jam, which you're an executive producer in. Um, do you realize the magnitude of this and just what's your overall take on the project and you working on the project? Yeah, I definitely understand the magnitude of it, but more importantly, I understand what it means um, for two of our biggest partners in the company, which is LeBron James, obviously, and I understand what it means to him to make something great, and to Warner Brothers, who entrusted us as producers and and along with Proximity and Ryan Coogler and his team to make this film. So I, I, I get the magnitude of that. Um, as we pour out the last of this bottle, yes, by thank the way. You. I never intended to drink that <laughs> much, but the last words of every... Night, I have wine. I never intended to drink this much. Jeez. We polished off a bottle, brother. Yeah. That was not the intention. <laughs> um, so Space Jam, I'm sorry I interrupted you. I, I do, from the, from that two, those two perspectives, I get the magnitude of it. I also, um, again, it's another thing I want to accomplish as a company to make a film this size and make it this great. But it is easy to get lost in the process and not pull back and appreciate it because the process is very grueling, very hard, very long. This is a movie that doesn't come out still for 
Oh, wow, we're July 22nd, so six days ago, we would have been exactly two years from Space Channel. So you're working on a film, but it doesn't come out for two years. Until the summer of 2021, so... You're dealing with day-to-day stuff. Every day. It doesn't come out for two years. Every day, so I get that, and I want to deliver. Um, for LeBron, I want, to, I want Warner Brothers to feel good, and for our company, it's important. This is an important one. And it's another one of those accomplishments that's like doing this and making it great. It matters, and it matters to everybody involved, and it matters to people who are going to go watch it, that they feel good and see and take something that they didn't expect and something entertaining and something powerful. So um, I do get the magnitude of it, but it's easy to get lost in it because it's, it's a long window to turn in something great. Love it. Um, two words, this next person, literally one of my favorite people on earth, um, just recently had a huge announcement, um, Rich Paul, um, talk a little bit about like, you've been there since the beginning, like what's that been like to see his progression, his growth and with his recent announcement of heading up sports at, at UTA? Yeah. Um, uh, because let me let me preface not to cut you off, we were we were in LA together. We worked out that morning actually when the announcement went public. We went and we had dinner. I've maybe I've been with you as your partner, your brother, through like birth of a child, through creating businesses, through big deals. Being, I may never have seen you prouder than you were of Rich. Like in that moment, like talk a little bit about that, like what that's meant to you, his growth. Yeah, just personally, Rich as a friend and a brother was personally happy for him as an individual um, that he set out to do something, put his head down, put um, every ounce of energy he had into it, um, really sometimes ruthlessly. Only gave a fuck about what was right for his clients and in turn right for his company. Sometimes at the sacrifice of relationships, sometimes at the um, at the at the um, price of getting on everybody's fucking nerves. Frankly, my nerves, anybody's nerves, <laughs> um, with being an agent. But he's an agent, he, and he really. You know, in 2012, he decided he was going to go on his own and really become an agent and do his thing. And he did it. And it really, it really, it paid off for him. Um, So I was very happy for him as an entrepreneur and as a a business builder and as an agent to get that accomplishment. And now, again, as I say, it's the facts. Like now he just gets a chance to do something bigger. And and mm-hmm. I'm sure he will do it. I'm confident he will. But it really shows you, you know, like um, Rich was pretty ruthless about what's right for his clients and and building that. A lot of this shit I don't always agree with, but the truth is he doesn't give a fuck. And even at his own ex- at his own expense sometimes, right? Like yeah. he's client first, whatever's best for his guys, and he'll take the bullets. Yep. And so uh, I appreciated that part. That's what I was most proud of it. I, I knew he was capable of doing whatever he wants, but I was proud that he that he did it and, and pulled it off in a major way. So two more things and we'll get out of here. 
Um, <clears throat> for that kid or that group of kids, you know, I'm old as shit. I'm washed, so like I call everyone kids. But you know, for that group of guys that's listening or watching this this show right now, that's trying to figure it out, that has big dreams, that's saying, "Hey, we're gonna start our own thing. We're gonna do this thing. We're gonna support each other." What advice do you give to those four, five, 19, 20-year-old kids that are trying to figure it out and are going to take a leap of faith and start their own thing? What advice does Maverick Carter in 2019 give that group of guys? The advice I could give them is um, from the outset, be as honest as possible what they can with each other because what can quickly happen is two people want to do this, one person wants to do this, another person has this, but they have this common thing, but they also have other interests. They need to share all of those because you don't want to wake up one day and go, hey, I thought he was only focused on this, but now he's doing that, or I thought she was going to be with us every day, but now she's... So you have to be very open and honest with each other that we have the same vision for whatever they're building, but also, hey, just so you guys know, I have some individual shit I want to accomplish too. Now, I'm saying that in hindsight. That's not necessarily what we did, but I'm telling you that will save a lot of time, energy, and effort or things that come up if you're very open and honest, most importantly with each other at the outset with put every agenda on the table. Hey, I want to be rich. I want to make a lot of money. Hey, I want to one day move this company to New York because I have dreams of living in New York. Hey, I want to move to Houston one day, so I think we should be in Houston. Hey, like every agenda you can because that will set them up to most importantly stick together and be together. Um, and if those things change, also make each other aware of those things because that's the most important part is like making sure we all... We don't all have to be on the same page with everyone's agenda, but but I'm clear about what everybody's agendas are. So there's no hidden ones because they will surface eventually. I mean, it's just impossible. It's just a matter of time when they do. So when you lay them out all at the beginning, it gives you the best chance to succeed. Love it. So my last question for you before we get up out of here is we're going to take a trip on a time machine and 30 years from now, you know, I mean, I'm washed now, so I can't even imagine if I'm fortunate enough to still be here 30 years <laughs> from now. <laughs> 30 years from now, we're in electric wheelchairs, God willing, on a boat somewhere, drinking great wine like we are today for this show. What does Maverick Carter look back on his career and is proud of? Like, what what is success for you? What do you look back on your career 30 years from now and say, man, I did it? Um, if everything that we create, be it a product, be it a movie, be it a TV show, piece of content, an event, one person that interfaced with everything that our company created, just one, not everybody has to fill it. If one person really left that event got that sneaker, saw that documentary, and truly felt empowered. If if that happens, and 
I'm fine with it. If they really felt like they got something from it that will help them go do everything they want to do and dream about, then I feel like um, our company did the right thing. My brother, I'm going to toast to you now. And hopefully in 30 years we're toasting with some more fun wine. Appreciate you being on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Maverick Carter, the Poor Vera Podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.